0: and on the court
1: money's gotta be the shoes shoes shoes, shoes. shoes. you sure it's not the shoes i'm sure I'm right. money's gotta be the shoes
0: and here's your host jamel cutler What up, what up, welcome to Kicks. Today we have one of the legends of the hardwood. If you were anywhere near the Rucker back in the day, then this guy needs no introduction. Larry, the Bone Collector Williams. What's up, my guy, how you doing?
1: How you doing, sir? Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Man, a legend like yourself, like I said, like you really don't need no introduction, man. And I try to get like all the legends and all the people that I grew up on as much as possible.
1: I appreciate that, man. That means a lot because that era that I grew up in was flooded with legends from all over the board. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of that stuff.
0: All right, man. So before we jump into the main event, like um, I want to talk about your clothing line, like what inspired you to
1: create it? When I was young, I, I knew that, you know, watching basketball was something that as a kid, you watch it and you want to emulate your favorite players and so on and so forth. And I just remember when I was in in high school, I had a, a pair of socks that I would always wear. Every time I played, they gave me a certain amount of confidence. And then I remember hearing the story that Michael Jordan wore his his gym shorts, his his high school gym shorts underneath his, his game shorts and when he was in the NBA. And then later on down the line, I remember Allen Iverson wearing an arm sleeve when he played, which was new, to see someone actually rocking a sleeve. And so I started to see that, you know, some of the clothing you wear gives you confidence. I started to understand that. And I met up with a good friend of mine, Partha, years ago, he had a clothing line lasso where they graded, they made the highest quality socks I've ever you know used. And they did shirts, they obviously do more than that, but we wanted to collab and give something back to the community and the people who support me. And the brand uh, Team Ankle Breaker um, is something that started with just some something grassroots from all my friends and family supporting me throughout these years. I wanted to give them something that was high quality and something that looked nice, felt nice, something that would give the kids a little bit of that feeling again that I had when I was a kid to give me a little bit more of an edge. And to be honest, to see this come to fruition has been special because some of the things that are quoted on my, my clothing, like respected or get collected and things like that Mm -hmm. are things that I actually live by as a basketball player. So I'm able to rep the brand in the best way possible. And, you know, I couldn't be more thankful than to have something that just very descriptive. Like there's a particular shirt, that's just a pile of bones and it's very descriptive of the word bone collector. And the kids who follow me, they love the idea of being able to support and wear some of the clothing that I'm wearing. So overall, the clothing Mm -hmm. brand itself, it made me want to give back and at the same time, still keep that confidence and that edge as I play.
0: Are you happy with the way that the brand has been like received? Because like over the summer, I've seen a whole lot of people hooping in the shorts, especially.
1: I'm very happy the way the brand is being received. Um. I have a lot of NBA clientele. A lot of my guys that I train are in the NBA and I, you know, it was just amazing to see them wear the, the clothing, the shorts, uh, the x-ray shorts was a big thing. Uh, NBA live, uh, the video game I was last featured on made the x-ray shorts. And I literally took that idea and just kind of gave it to, gave it more of a, a real approach and gave it, you know a feel so the shorts that i have they come in all colors and so on and so forth but the fact that they're an actual x-ray makes them unique and you know just moving and seeing these people wearing this stuff is just mind-blowing because i've came a long way from streetball i've played over 20 years in streetball and now playing on a professional level which i will be doing in and uh this upcoming year i'll be playing overseas um being that i'm able to do and, and support myself with basketball it's amazing to see people support my brand and push it to another level where
0: do you want to see the brand like go in the next five years like you just mentioned overseas um like can you possibly Mm -hmm. like kind of market it like to that market i'm not sure where you're playing that but
1: yeah i'll be playing in europe um and then i'll I'll Mm -hmm. be traveling all throughout from from uh, you know russia all the way to germany all the way out to italy and then back to Australia, back to the, you know. So I'll be moving around a lot. I think that my overall goal for the brand is to grow it globally, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. to make sure that the people that are in those areas that su- that support me, the Philippines, China, and all these places, Guam, they're able to receive this these this clothing. And I'm looking to build a, a strong brand in one of these international markets because one thing that I found out about, you know, just clothing in general is it's a lot of work and big shout out to Scott and Partha and all the guys at Lasso that do all the back work. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into building a brand. So if you get to a point where you can create a niche, why not? And we live, I live in the United States where everything is, you know, manufactured, you know, for the consumer. So I figure if I can get to one of those grassroots places, Japan, one of these markets where they really support me, I think I can make a really big impact and my brand can grow a lot.
0: So like performance wise, um, how does the lasso compression socks help you?
1: So the lasso socks for me, I I have uh, narrow feet. So what the lasso mm-hmm. sock does for me is it keeps my ankle supported while I'm making my cuts and so on and so forth. And then this new sock is just like a so light, like a feather. Uh, the new version of the sock they made, the lasso bone collector collaboration sock is so light, but with the same elasticity. So. It almost feels as if you're, if you ever played pro basketball and you get your ankles taped, or you go and play college football or pro football, they put spat around your ankles or they tape your ankles up. It feels the same way. It feels secure. It feels nice and stable. So the lasso sock keeps my ankles and my feet in a nice, stable, and secure situation.
0: You know, I know like so many people that you crossed over, they would. I'm sure they wish they had those um lasso (laughs) socks
1: yeah can you talk about
0: big facts man can you talk about like what was street basketball culture like um like back in the late 90s early 2000s
1: street basketball culture in the early 2000s was the most amazing basketball I've ever witnessed with my own two eyes I had the opportunity to Play against Kobe Bryant, Steve Francis, Allen Iverson, Baron Davis, Gilbert Arenas, Nate Robinson, Jamal Crawford, and the list goes on. Sean Marion and so on and so forth. Kevin Garnett. I seen all these guys come through that park and actually enjoy enjoy the game. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. um, Came to the park, played. I played with Kobe. It was something that you can't duplicate. You can't. It's almost like. nostalgia of seeing an 80s movie um when you watch an old 80s movie you still look at the clothes you look at the the cars you know that that era was different and that's what was going on in the early 2000s that was a different era of basketball it was a lot grittier uh the new york scene was riddled with ridiculous athletes from ali mo to skip to my lou to you name them to sham god to everyone that you can name it was at the time, in my opinion, one of the highest time in forms of basketball creativity in the history of the game. Because during that time, you had streetball players mixing their skill set with pro players, and um, even though the NBA is always changing and growing, I don't see that inflow that that influenced the same as it used to be. The the streetball players mm-hmm. used to get the pro players just, you know, they finish a the whole NBA season and then they come to the park just to make sure that they were ready for the NBA. So I think that that in itself um, should, could, could kind of explain the nostalgia of being in a, in a street ball environment in a park where you're not playing against just the average Joe. The person on the other side is good on defense, good on offense, good passer, you know, everything that you can possibly think of. And then what else you know the the other things that made it you know a heightened sense of entertainment is during that time there was a big controversy between the east and the west with rest in peace tupac shakur and uh biggie smalls at the time the east and the west had this rivalry kind of energy going on so every game meant something every play meant something every you know every move meant something and i actually you know lived through that era it was amazing to see um so many different athletes come from all over the world and compete on that stage at Rucker Park in New York
0: you know and one advantage well it's not really an advantage one thing I like about that era like it was no social media so now when people um think about it today like the stories and the legends get like bigger and bigger
1: yeah that's exactly true Mm -hmm. because there was no social media you had to be there to see it you had to experience it the experience was a lot Mm -hmm. different right now if you're looking at your phone and you're watching any highlight of course it it can you know it'll make you you know keep you excited so on and so forth but there's nothing like being there seeing it with your own two eyes Mm
0: -hmm. so and now and now when you go to games like you see people on on their phones like the whole game so like back then people like people they was like actually enjoying it in the moment yeah they so were like, tuned
1: into the moment. Yep. Right. You're yeah, exactly right.
0: All right. So um can you talk about like how did you get the name Bone Collector?
1: Yes, sir. I got the name Bone Collector um after my fifth game in New York uh city in Rucker Park. The first four mm-hmm. games, I did moves on these on all of my defenders to make them get hurt. So the first game the paramedics came to pick up a guy who hurt his finger. Second game, a guy pulls his hamstring third game, a guy bangs his knee on the floor, fourth game guy falls over backwards over the gate, hits his back. So the paramedics what? just keep coming out there. And then the fifth day, the paramedics just stayed out there. He was like, well, I heard bone collectors plan. Um, no, well, I didn't have the name at the time when I heard mm-hmm. this guy's playing up here. And so I'm going to stay here. My name at the time was body bag, excuse me. They used to call me body bag before that. And then one of my good friends. He called me in the middle of the night and he said, man, I got the perfect name for you. Bone collector. And at the time I was like, nah, that's the movie with Angelina Jolie and, and Denzel Washington. You can't I can't take that name. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm telling you, nobody is able to make people fall and do these things you're doing. Nobody can do that but you. And I was like, you know what? <clears throat> we'll see. And then the next game, that fifth game, I just so happened to break somebody down again and the guy fell paramedics came and got him and then you heard the announcer just saying the bone collector has arrived and then from there on it's just been uh one of those things ever since a name that people are very familiar with in basketball
0: so you made a dude fall over the fence backwards like yeah if if that happened to me I'm sorry we have to fight after <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yo, it was one of those moments, too, where his teammates was definitely, you know, a little hostile. They didn't like the fact that I did that, for sure.
0: Bone Collector and Homicide, those are like two, like two of the best names ever for um, street ballers.
1: Yeah. Homicide, shout out to Corey mm-hmm. Williams, my teammate, and my backcourt, one of my favorite teammates. Me and him shared the backcourt for five years at Rucker Park, all five of my MVP years. So, it's a big shout out to Corey. <clears throat>
0: and. So, like, you talk about, like, why nicknames are so important um, on the streetball circuit.
1: When you have a nickname on the streetball circuit, it means more than just the name. Um, I think we live in a time now where people create their names and create this facade around themselves to feel like they're prepared for, you know, the basketball war or basketball battle that's in front of them. But from my era, your name is literally something that you have to carry with you every single day. So, you know, it's something that you can't put you can't put down, so to speak. You can't you can't yeah. get off you. So I think that holding on to your name and, and making sure that you're having and having a name like mine, uh and, and other names sort, you know, in the street ball world, it gives you a sort of understanding of what people expect from you. So you for instance, If there's a guy named Arab there, you expect him to, you know, be in the air, catching some nice globs, get some nice dunk dunks. And I'm I'm pretty sure. And that's a good friend of mine that he prepared his body and his mind to go and perform under the name Arab there. So they knew exactly why they called him that. So you want people to know why they call you what they call you. And you shouldn't have to explain it. If you're really good at what Mm -hmm. you're doing, you shouldn't have to explain it. And that's why the name means a lot, because when I go to a gym, I don't want I don't go to the gym and say, hey, what's up? My name is Bone Collector. Um, let's play. I go in the gym and as soon as I get in the gym, it's already there. They already know what's up. And I think that that's what you want. You want the name to have more respect than you actually asking for the rewards.
0: What are some of the worst nicknames that you ever heard on a um, basketball court?
1: Oh, you got me thinking now. (laughs) Worst nicknames. Well, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that answer because Mm -hmm. some of the worst nicknames are some of my closest friends. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want to offend anybody, but let's just say there was a lot of names made up in the back in the streetball era that, you know, could have used a little bit more thought.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, and now today, like you really don't hear nicknames no more.
1: Like no. I was at a dike. Yeah,
0: I was at a Dykeman game over the summer and then and the announcer was just, was just saying either the guy's last name or his or his or his um Instagram at.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's you know, we live in that yeah. time. Yeah, you're right. Those names are have faded away. And to be honest, there hasn't been any new names since we since the the, the tour era, I believe. There's a lot of, you know. Mm-hmm up and coming guys that are you know, making making their name on their social platforms, but there's no name that is like hitting the mark, hitting the surface like those, like back in those, the street ball era where you heard somebody's name and you're like, whoa, I need to go check that out. Like the first time I heard the name Ali Moe, you heard that name, you wanted to go and find out who that person was and you don't have that nostalgia anymore. Skip to my loo and I'll be right back. Whole lot of game. And all those names that you would hear, you you wanted to see what those guys are about. And I think that's not to say that you know people don't have the you know the talent to recreate you know their own lane. But I think that nostalgia has dwindled a bit, and it is my job to kind of keep it going. And because I was a part of that era, and I will.
0: All right. So like you won the Rucker MVP like five years in a row, like you said, er like you said earlier. Um, What did that mean to you? You know, going up against the best players in the world other than the nba guys
1: well for me it meant everything it, it let me know that i was prepared I, everything that i thought i was ready to do i was actually ready to do and it gave me more confidence because now that i realized that i overprepared you know i was so good that i didn't get a chance to do everything i wanted to do um it made me overprepared and now i'm taking i'm i'm even from those days up until now i've never taken a day off since then
0: you know, the, the record kind of tailed off a little bit after Greg died a
1: few years yes. ago. Like, what, rest in peace, Greg, Marius.
0: Like, like in your book, what would it take for you to, you know, bring back the park to its former glory? Because now, like, you really don't see games anymore, any, like, real um, games
1: in the record no more. Yeah, for me, um, it's time. I talked to, a big shout out to Gus and all the, the guys out there working to keep ABC going. They just rebuilt the court. Mm-hmm. It's, for me, time. I, it's one of those situations where to rebuild something so monumental is impossible. You can't build it on the same level, but you can support it on the same level. So I think if I come out and dedicate my time to the park, it'll definitely draw some attention. And I think I'm going to, this, this summer, I've been talking in talks, we're working on some things with my National Street Ball League and um, some of my, my clinics and, so on, and my camps and some of my NBA contacts. We're working on doing more events at Rucker Park, more things driven towards bringing the notoriety back to that park.
0: Um, do you think like the popularity of Dykeman kind of, you know, made Rucker kind of take a backseat a little bit?
1: Mm, I don't think so. I think Rucker and Dykeman are different. You know, I played in both. Mm-hmm. Um, Rucker it w- was a stage that was set primarily for NBA players sanctioned by the NBA shown on NBA TV. Dykeman was a park that was completely on the flip side of that. Everyone from the mm-hmm. the person on the kids on the block, the guy selling ices, you know, everybody can watch these games. There's no rules or regulations. You can come out and enjoy that game. Um, it's right in the projects. It's, it was, it's different. It's different. And no, no, I don't put it in a bad or worse category. The Rucker Park has its own energy and Dykeman has its own energy. There's certain things that go on at Dykeman that don't go on at Rucker and vice versa. And I think they work simultaneous to create the the atmosphere of New York basketball, along with places like um, uh, uh, Hoops in the Sun and all those other tournaments. Um, I remember there was a Baruch College was one of those places oh. that mm-hmm. yeah the the pros used to go there and they would split time between there and Gaucho's gym and all of it inclusive is what makes New York what it is as far as basketball is concerned Rucker Dykeman all that stuff together is what keeps it uh, on fire I don't think the separation is necessary
0: you know that that Nike Pro League at um... At Baruch, that was my joint, only because it was AC. Yeah. Because the because the summertime here <laughs> is brutal.
1: It's brutal outside. Yeah, you know I know. 15 years of outdoors, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: And on pavement, too. So I know I'm how you page. feel.
1: You feel me? Yeah. But yeah, so like, definitely a learning experience, though. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, 03 was, like, the best year for the Rucker in my book. That's when, like, I officially started paying attention. I was, like, 16 at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, And that's when, like, all the rappers started coming in. Like, what do you remember most about that summer?
1: I think what I remember most about that summer is playing against Jamal Tinsley. That was one of the highlights of the year. I was playing pros every day, but I just remember him being – known and and feared almost. They used to call him the abuser. Jamal Tinsley, Mel Mel the abuser is what they called him. So I remember hearing his name so much, like we spoke of earlier, names. And I'm like, well, he must be this, that, and the third. And I think lead, building up to playing him and then performing the way I did and, and so on and so forth was one of the most memorable times I've ever spent in New York. And then also winning my first championship in Rucker was super memorable. Went myself, Baron Davis, Gilbert Arenas, and all those other guys who joined that team to win that championship.
0: Yo, you have to give give me your best Gilbert Arena story. Mm. Like you have
1: to. Best Gilbert Arena story. We're overseas. Um, Gilbert Arenas is he has four, he has 30 some points in the first half. And I'm I'm not the kind of player to black back down from anybody. Um, I'm not gonna say who was a him in the first half, but I didn't draw the assignment <laughs> the first half, and it was getting ugly. Now Gilbert is a big trash talker, so you're, the whole time he's telling us the score, the shots he's gonna make. He's coming down saying this will be a three. I'm gonna up fake him. I'm gonna bounce off of him, and I'm gonna hit the shot. He was just talking and doing it. Second half, I'm like, I can't allow that. He finishes the game with almost 60 points, 50 some points. There wasn't nothing I could do to stop him. He was already in zone, so I had to crowd him and do all these things to slow him down, which helped us because we were on a tour where we had to play him over and over again, which helped us the following game understand how to guard him. Now, the story goes, Gilbert is literally calling out every point, and it didn't matter what we were doing. And from that moment, to be honest, I learned how to pace my offensive skill set on how he was scoring on me and my teammates. (laughs) So Gilbert Arena's story, Gilbert Arena's game, (laughs) he came down and basically talked in every bucket all the way up to darn near 50 points against me and my teammates. It was a bad day. (laughs) You know, for the most for the
0: most part, the rappers, they were the ones that brought out the NBA guys. Like, what would you? Uh, like, what would it take for the rappers, like, to get reinvolved back into the streetball culture? Because like, I think it they, really only takes one or two.
1: Yeah, the I think they, they, To be honest, I think the rap rappers are getting more involved in it. They have things out, different leagues, the Crew League uh, uh, is something that the rappers do this every year, where they go out and get a couple athletes to join them, and it's competitive basketball. Um, I believe that they just need the opportunity to play and to be a part of it and they would be because rap and basketball entertainment, all that stuff goes together, It goes simultaneous. So I think that it's something that is currently going on and it's going to continue to be pushed. I, I see that like people like Kanye and all these guys are coaching and, and hosting teams and events and so on and so forth. So it's going to continue to grow, I believe.
0: You know, so like during this time in Harlem, I know you was good friends with um, Jay Monster. Like, do you have any good Jay stories?
1: Oh man, Jay was one of my closest friends throughout my entire time in New York. I'll tell you the first, the best story I can tell you is we went to a gym and I believe it is near Chelsea Pierce basketball city. I think that's where basketball city is, Chelsea Pierce. So we go into the gym, there's a game going on and I can't remember if I shot the ball or someone shot the ball. And now Jay was literally, he was there as, you know, my liaison to, you know, make sure I knew what was going on to knew what teams to play with and so on and so forth. But Jay could actually play and he was really good. And so we're in the game. Jay's like, you know, before the game, he's amped. So somebody shoots the ball and I kid you not, that ball bounced off the rim and everyone looks back to like, go get the rebound. And you see Jay flying in like Tom Chambers when he jumped off of Mark Jackson and he bumped off of somebody and caught the ball two hand. And when he bumped him, Jay's six, seven. So he bumped him. Jay's whole body was over the rim. He dunked the ball and I was blown away. This is the same guy who's, you know, hasn't shown me that he's even concerned with playing basketball, just goes out and makes one of the most craziest dunk plays I've ever seen. Shout out to Jay Monster, aka my block. Jay was
0: heavy in the streets too. Like, did he like introduce you to like Cameron or um Mace or one of them um Harlem guys from back in the day?
1: He introduced me to so many different people, um, rappers, artists, so on and so forth. He introduced me to everybody along the along the board. Um yeah, he gave me the opportunity to work and know a lot of entertainers to this day.
0: All right, so like, so like around this time n one was blowing up too, like who are some of the best bowlers to come through n one?
1: Um, I don't know, cause I didn't play n one and people get that confused with me a lot. I, I never played and one, so I don't know.
0: Did you like ever play against any other guys that went through n one like Skip to my loop? Yeah, I played
1: against Skip, I played against Silk, I played against Baby Shack. I played against a lot of guys. And if I had to, to answer your question, I mean, those are just the guys mm-hmm. I know, I would have to say, a big shout out just to the guys I grew up just hooping against and with, Victor Page, uh, Lawrence Moten, Springs, Baby Shack, Mr. Africa, Special Effects, um, White Chocolate, Daryl Showtime Hill, Tutu, Greg Jones, and the list goes on. And uh obviously Hot Sauce, Sick Witted, Spin Master. Those are all these are all guys I grew up just hooping against just in friendly friendly combat. To say who's did what and this, that, and the third, I wasn't on An so I don't know the tour, you know, breakdown, mm-hmm. but those are guys I ended up running into. Shout out to I'll be right back and and um those are the guys I ended up playing against. Shout out to Marcus Hatton as well. Um, oh a big St. John's guy. Yeah, yeah Mark Marcus Hatton was a, was a beast. Um, um, shout out to those guys. Those are, you know, my my street ball uh criteria put me in position to actually learn from players instead of be rivals to them. So it was more mm-hmm. of a blessing for me because those guys end up becoming my friends skip he's like the
0: only street ball guy to you know ever make the jump to the NBA like why do you think there has't been an influx of of street ballers to make that big leap since skip
1: I think skip just had everything in in set up for him to pave the pave that way and I think that the reason that it hasn't made that jump and he's the only one to do that is because there wasn't the opportunity was smaller for he was the he was the only person that went the exact route that it took to do all those things i don't think mm-hmm. being a streetball player people don't understand that a lot of these players are you know talent wise good enough to you know play in the nba but they they might be lacking in other areas they might not be disciplined enough to do the things that it takes to be a professional which is like you know pros get up at five in the morning they do two a days you know they you know they eat Different foods, they, you know, they their sleeping patterns are a lot different. Their exercise and training is a lot different. Is the is a streetball player disciplined enough to do that? I'm not sure. Skip was the only one that I've seen do it. He paved the way for that because you're not, you know, able to make the league. There's not always a talent thing. So I think that Skip was able to balance everything. He was able to be an all-around pro. He was able to show up and go to work. And I think streetball players. use that as the criteria for how they should handle themselves. If they want to get a job playing the NBA, you gotta go just like any job, you gotta go apply. Um and I think Skip was the best person to go by when it came to that. Shout out to Skip to my loop.
0: You know, have you ever played against him in a rucker? Because like I heard all these stories he used to show up late to the game like in yeah. the limousine and like I don't know. Yeah. I played have against you
1: ever him in Rucker. Any of that? Yeah I played against him in Rucker a few times. Yep. I didn't see him show up in the limo or anything or club later or anything, but I see I played against yeah. him. I don't know about those stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. So like, so just like I said earlier, like it was no social media. So like those stories get bigger and bigger. And, you know, yeah, like they just get lost in, in um, translation, basically. Exactly. I also heard this story like I was looking for video footage because I can't believe that this is true. Like, when you was in China, mm. like, you crossed the dude out of his shoes.
1: Yeah. Like, can yeah. you
0: walk us through that play?
1: There's a guy that was trying to basically pressure me, and I don't really, this. that was a play that I couldn't really pinpoint and figure out how, but I did a couple moves, and I noticed that he was, his feet was a little wobbly, and I, I thought it was mm-hmm. just his ankles moving all weird, but when I finished the move, his shoes was off and it blew my mind because I, you know, I got to the point where the kids thought I was doing magic and all of that stuff. Like, Well, how did you do that? Show me. And I'm like, I don't know how he, his shoes came off. I just know that I, I know what moves to make. So that that, you know, that's one of the funniest stories ever, because, you know, they, like, as they say, he collects bones. He also collects shoes. He collects socks. He collects feet, He collects toes. <laughs> and that was one of those moments where. Yeah, one of those moments where I can kind of use that moniker bone collector and I, on a higher level with the, with your shoes being off, you mm-hmm.
0: know? You know, what was dude's reaction? Because, you know, if that happened to me, like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I have to be reaching in into a bag or something. You got to get in your bag,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. um, his reaction was its almost like he was happy. Like he was happy and happy that he had the opportunity to play against me and try. It was funny. <laughs> funny very funny moment in in, in basketball.
0: Mm-hmm. Like as an American or a black American, what was it like playing in China? Did you like have any culture shock or, or mm-hmm. was it just you know, business as usual?
1: It was business as usual. I'm used to it. I've been there for over the past 10 years. So everything in China was is new to me maybe my first couple of years the food and the the uh, way of life was a coaster shock, but after that, it was pretty mm. smooth sailing. I
0: had a friend; he played in China for a few years, and like every time he would come back, he would say like he misses Chinese food, like American mm. food, Chinese food.
1: Like, yeah, did you
0: have that? Um, did mm. you have that type of reaction? Or
1: no, nah, I just missed when I got back home. I just went straight to get you know fill up on the soul food when I got back. So. <laughs> I had to make sure I changed my palate when I got back because I was you know, eating so much of the same stuff. And yeah, I went straight to the soul food.
0: All right, so now I saw um, recently that you're um, doing some coaching. Like what is a training session with
1: the bone collector like? The training session with me is super intense. It's an hour and a half um, high level ball handling skills. And then we we go right into offensive skill set, comfortability, um, hesitations, change of directions, defense, and then we finish the drills with live one-on-one uh basketball, where everything that I taught you, you now have to do on a live defender, which is me. And that's you know, that's where we you know hang our hats. Tonight I'll be uh working with one of my guys, shout out to Tyreek Evans. We've been in the lab a few times um this week and we're going to be doing some of the same things so anybody wanting to whoever wants to get their handles better feel free to reach reach out to me on instagram bonecollector6 or dm me or or just even email me bonecollectorlive at yahoo.com and get your personal session And i'm only passing out the highest grade and highest level of hesitations and crossovers and that's all we work on and i'll be working with dribble too much as well um, with changing the pace, you know, dribble too much is the uh, main, uh, the trainer of Chris Paul, Devin Booker and those guys, uh, excuse me, Chris Paul and um, DeMar DeRozan and those guys, Anthony Davis. So I'm going to, with what he's teaching me, and I'm incorporating what I already know, we're creating straight weapons, period.
0: Have you seen any of your style, like in the NBA game, like, with Devin Booker or um, with AD or any of uh, those guys
1: um not in particular I haven't my style of basketball I haven't seen in in, in the NBA I w- I would say mm-hmm. there's instances where you know there's certain plays that come out and and you know they mimic the the movements but other than that um I think we're, you know, yet to see more of that flare and flash in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like, to you, what's the most rewarding part of um of coaching or training?
1: The most rewarding part of training for me is to watch the player grow to the point where they just start to need tune-ups. When you're working with mm-hmm. someone and they're so good that they call you to just give them the tune-up that's when you know you did your job because now they can teach it to somebody else. And that's the most rewarding part for me.
0: You know, I'd be on Instagram and I'd be seeing all these weird workouts that all these trainers be doing that um, don't make any sense. Like, what do you think about um, those workouts?
1: Um, I haven't seen them, so I don't want to judge them, but. Oh, I'll yeah. Just say oh, yeah. This. oh yeah. yeah. It should
0: be crazy, man.
1: I'll just say this. Um, working out, you know, whatever trainers are putting you through is fine, but Mm -hmm. it's going to, everything changes once you get in the, in the field. So I would suggest anything that you're working on, no matter what trainer you're working with, you go out and make sure you're able to do that in a, in a game environment or, or a, a setting where you're being challenged defensively and offensively and not just going through, uh, drills.
0: All right, man. So before we go, I want to play a game. It's called Start Bench Cut. I just give you three things, and you just tell me if you're gonna start it, bench it, or cut it. All right. Okay. All right, so we got start bench cut for street ball legends. We have um Joe Hammond, Pee-wee Kirkland, or um skip to my Lou, Ray for Austin.
1: Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> I'm gonna start. Yeah joe hammond well we gotta let the ogs rock start joe hammond mm-hmm. bench peewee I mean skip <laughs> we got i mean that's what i've been taught to let the ogs rock skip we gotta yes, go buddy it's all
0: good you gotta respect your elders man
1: you gotta let your elders rock even though mm. with that being said that i would obviously want skip to be at the point for sure
0: mm-hmm.
1: but like these- respect to the ogs i'll let them rock
0: like do you have any good Pee Wee or, or joe hammond stories because the stories i heard about them from back in the day is some is some of the wildest stuff ever
1: uh they were way way past my time so i don't <laughs> really have stories about those mm-hmm. guys yeah
0: all right so the next set is um all right same thing we have hot sauce kareem Reed, the best kept secret or homicide yeah, for my backcourt mate.
1: I'm gonna start my backcourt teammate homicide just because he was my teammate. I'm gonna bench mm-hmm. Kareem Reed and I'm gonna uh cut my good friend sauce. Unfortunately.
0: You know, Hafsaurus was kind of before his time too. Like I remember he was like one of the biggest stars. It was him Cadillac. Esplayed.
1: I mean not Cadillac, yeah, Escalate. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember those two. I still have the DVDs, I think, somewhere in the storage. Mm-hmm. All right. And the last one is about the parks. Um, we got Rucker, Dykeman, or West
1: I'm going to start Rucker, of course, just where I got my name. Mm-hmm. Bench Dykeman and Cut West Forth, even though West Forth is my favorite place to play on the weekend.
0: Oh, right. yeah, mine too, man. I I just like the intimate feeling of it.
1: Yeah, small court, everybody's yeah. arguing. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, I want to thank you for joining me today. Like, I really enjoyed this conversation. Do you have any upcoming projects that you're working on?
1: Yes. Um, stay tuned for my next event, December nineteenth, in Phoenix, Arizona. I will be partnered with Famigo to host a basketball clinic on December nineteenth at the at a gym um called the lab um stay tuned also in january the national street ball league will start to promote and host its its events getting ready prepared for the summer and i'll be playing international basketball uh in overseas in the following new year and i will be my nba clientele has picked up so high that i now have the opportunity to work hand in hand with one of the Top trainers in the world, Phil Handy, who would be adding me to his 94 feet a game ball handling training app. So I will be featured on one of the top apps for ball handling along with Phil Handy and and the guys he works with, Curry, I mean excuse me, Kyrie, Nash, and those guys that he works with. Um just a privilege, just an honor to be able to do such. And then anybody like I said, um stay tuned to my YouTube channel for all tutorials, Bone Collector Unlimited, to check out all my ball handling information and tutorials on the things to make you a better player.
0: All right, man. Thanks again for your time, man. I really do appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you too, brother. Thank you.